0: Hi, this is Jamie Anderson, and you're listening to the FSF podcast.
1: The show that took the term, no strings attached, a little too
2: seriously. Look where that got us. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wizard of Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 1963. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins the doctor and the companion in their travels through time and space, he'll know that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope because the red shirt widows and orphans fund has his back and what's left of his banana decorate.
1: All right, guys, our guest today is the son of the late, great Jerry Anderson, who created shows such as The Thunderbirds and Space 1999, just to name a few, because holy crap, there's way more out there than I thought there was. I knew of those shows, I was not aware of some of them, but yeah. Anyway, we have Jamie Anderson here, not just to talk about his father's legacy, but his own path in the media world as well. Jamie's an amazing producer, writer, and director in his own right. So we're very proud and very excited to welcome Jamie Anderson to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Jamie. Hello. What a nice
0: introduction. It's all downhill from here.
1: <laughs> well, only when we start talking again. Then then it goes uphill when you when you start talking. So that's the way it works. But
0: what goes down must go
2: up.
1: That's right. It ba- it balances out. We talk, it goes down. You talk, it goes up. So, I think sometimes there's best. a
3: there's a corkscrew in there too, it's spiral out of control.
1: And a That's the live show on Monday nights.
3: <laughs> the spiraling out of control. Yeah. Yes.
1: All right. So. Uh, Jamie, for many of us, growing up in the shadow of our fathers can be a a very difficult task, whether our father cast a good shadow or maybe uh, not such a good shadow. Living up to the name of our dads can be a little bit tricky, uh, especially if our dads are hero and that's who we want to be like. But I have to assume that it's a bit trickier if your father's a celebrity and someone who's been revered in the sci-fi world like your father has been. So, I'm curious to learn, how did you learn to grow and shine in your own light st- while still being in somewhat in the shadow of your father?
0: <laughs> that is a great question. Um, I'm not quite sure how to answer it. I mean, so uh, obviously you, you, you hang around somebody who's making TV shows uh, and it's exciting, right? So as a kid, I went to Pinewood Studios a lot with him and Bray Studios when he was there some, some of the biggest film and TV studios in the country and watching, watching ideas become flesh or resin or fiberglass or polystyrene or whatever, and then, you know, be translated from someone's mind to the screen for others to enjoy is quite an amazing thing and and completely intoxicating. So from the time I was about six or seven years old, and when Dad would say, "What do you want to do when you grow up?" I would always say, "I want to do what you do," because it's it's just cool, isn't it? I don't, can't. I mean, I can't think of anything that are cooler. I'm sure others will think of things they prefer, but to me, it was the only path. He had a really rough time in the industry over the years. I mean, he he made and lost his millions several times over. Um, made a lot of enemies. Um, lost a lot of friends. Uh, burnt a lot of bridges. It was his way, just the way he coped with things. So to him, going into the industry was a really bad idea. Um, And so by the time I was 17, he said to me, if you try to get into the industry, I will make sure every door is slammed in your face. Oh, wow. Which is kind of harsh words to hear as a 17-year-old. I mean, particularly as a teenager, you hear that sort of thing from a parent and your natural response is, uh, you know get lost you know sure sure it just it felt terribly unfair and it was only probably i don't know seven or eight years later that i really began to appreciate what he meant was i'm not having you go through the same heartache and difficulties that i have so for several years i I carved my own path in other things um all, all manner of industries but not media um and it was only about eight months before he died, that he said, do you know what, it's actually quite a shame you didn't come into the family business. But I don't think we could have worked alongside each other just because of his his way. Um, he was very kind of proprietorial. It was always his kind of focused outcome that he wanted. So it could never have worked. But the benefit of that was that it kind of taught me that I could go off and do my own thing and learn how to do it. Um, <clears throat> and so now since his, since his passing... I've been able to kind of hold these two things separately. One is let's celebrate and continue the legacy of dad. Sure. That doesn't require me living up to anything. It just requires me celebrating it in the best way that we possibly can. And then Mm -hmm. the other side, it's I'll go off and do my own thing, which is, it might be anything from directing Doctor Who audio dramas to making documentaries or whatever. It's it's another thing. And sometimes those might cross over in the middle, but it has given me, I think, a healthy respect for, <clears throat> I don't have to be Jerry Anderson version two. I don't want to be. I don't think anybody could be. Sure. Um, but I get to do those two things at the same time. So some harsh words and a harsh approach in my teens, although I don't completely agree with his methods, I think it's come to serve me quite well.
1: Okay. So I can, I can, I can understand that to a certain degree. So my dad, uh, although he's not a celebrity, he likes to think he is, but he's not just a local celebrity. Sure. In his own mind, he's a celebrity, but here, you know uh, we have the building that I'm in is our, our sign shop and my dad and I have worked together for many years, you know, and uh, for me, it's difficult because dad has his way of doing things and that's the only way that things can be done. And, you know, you, you try and, you know, try and go, well, what if we did it this way, working, working with family can be very difficult. So mm-hmm. on, on the one hand, I, I could see where you would have wanted maybe to go work with dad and, and do the things. But I also see the benefit of going out and learning to do it on your own. Because it wasn't until in my later years in life, I worked with my father when I was younger, because you know, you know, my dad owned a company, and that's where I went to work and get make money. But then I got married, went off, did my own thing and, and uh, learned how to work in the world, uh, separate from dad and how dad does things so i i can see the i can see both sides of it and i can see how that yeah. could be a, a benefit for you as well from from that vantage point it's a little bit different of the story but you know
2: obviously i think there's there's some parallel yeah. i saw a lot of parallel with you and the movie inception and <laughs> that whole plot line of having him to realize that he doesn't have to do it his father's way is exactly. that what that movie was about? There was a lot of other fun stuff happening, but like that was the main <laughs> like thought they were trying to interject into his head. I'm like, okay, if
1: that's what you got out of that, because I'm still trying to figure that movie out. I don't know how many years later. <laughs> I don't
3: think I ever I'm not
0: sure we'll solve that now. No, no.
3: <laughs> so going from your past projects to more of your current work, um, IMDB, we know, is not always a hundred percent accurate.
0: Um oh dear, it don't is, use IMDB.
3: It is the Wikipedia of the entertainment industry. <laughs> um, but anyway, as of now, it said that there is a project of yours called Shelf Life Home Run. Is that correct? Oh.
0: <laughs> yes, that is correct. Okay, I mean, but then there sure are much...
3: no other details.
0: <laughs> yes. And I, I can't really provide you with a huge amount of other details. It's a it's an animated um Six to eleven comedy, um, strangely, that we're in kind of financing and pre 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 production for. So that's you know one of one of many things, and that's you know that sits firmly in the column of new, not not Jerry Anderson related stuff. Um, that's which so is perfect. kind of nice and and exciting. That's awesome. Um,
3: so, do you have other projects that you can other newer projects that you can talk more about than than that one? Because
0: that's the the really tough thing, right? So uh, we mentioned kind of learning how to do things, and you know, cutting your own teeth and carving your your own path mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I have definitely made quite a few, should we say, mistakes or missteps, or had a few failed uh, experiments in terms of my approach to things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so we we. Um, we did some development work a few years ago on a proposed new puppet series to be filmed in Ultra Marionation, the updated kind of version of Super Marionation. And um it's really strange actually, because <clears throat> I can see a kind of mirrored parallel with with dad's approach towards the end of his life, with my approach at the beginning of my career. So towards the very end, at the very end of his life, he was desperately trying to secure the rights to remake thunderbirds and he was really ignored and shut out by the rights holders and it was very painful for him and uh, he went on bbc news our main broadcaster um, Mm -hmm. uh, and basically said hey great news i've got the rights to make new thunderbirds and we're going to do it and we're going to be starting production in about nine months time Mm -hmm. and his aim there was to create momentum and kind of force the hand of the rights owner Mm -hmm. to to let that happen fast forward say, six five six years i find myself or I found myself doing a very similar approach which was we had a, a show this show firestorm we, we are working up we are still working on but now in a slightly modified form and we had an investor lined up and we went out to mcm comic-con in london and we showed our pilot and i was like and we've just signed the paperwork to do this new show spoke too soon the funder funder collapsed about three months later disappeared with all the money uh, and left us in a rights limbo where the rights were assigned to a party which kind of was on the way to not existing but still existed at that point so there are things like that where i've gone out before and made the mistake of saying yes we're good to go before the money's in the bank and before Mm -hmm. we're doing first day of principal photography so with that in mind yes there's loads of stuff that we're working on <laughs> stuff moves at such a glacial pace it's kind of painful really
3: yeah
0: um but there's always there are always things happening and we we're active in not just television and film production but in audio drama production and publishing mm-hmm. and multiple other areas so there's always publishing stuff coming out we created a new audio drama series during lockdown Uh, back in kind of July August 2020 called First Action Bureau which is kind of Minority Report meets Killing Eve if you know Killing Eve Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so there's lots of stuff going on it's just very frustrating when you've got this stuff and now I'm slightly cagey about talking about it in case (laughs) something something falls over because it's it's you know it's hard it's really hard getting stuff out there and pitching it and you're going to hear 99 no's at least before you get your yes. And you've got to maintain the resilience. And then if you add on the kind of public facing, Hey, this is happening. And then it doesn't, it's, it makes it even harder. Um, So there you go. That's my roundabout way of saying, I can't tell you a huge amount. Sorry.
3: That's all right.
1: (laughs)
0: That's okay.
1: And completely understood. I think if we had gone through some of the things you've gone through, trying to get stuff off the ground, I think we'd be a little cagey about it too.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes you wary. And in fact, there was a Twitter thread that somebody shared with me the other day from um, uh, an LA-based writer-producer, and she she wrote a really interesting thread about how she was currently rewriting a pitch for a project, and she was on the 27th iteration of that pitch document.
2: Ooh,
0: wow. <clears throat> and that is the reality of trying to get a show made in the current climate. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, you might only have to do five pitches. Um, but now you're into rounds and rounds of notes and changes. And it's it's not a glacial place, it's subglacial. It's It's incredibly slow and a tough thing. And you have to learn to love that slow creative process and take your little wins when something is working better than it did before. Wow. So we all have a little something that is close to our hearts. What
2: was a project that you worked on that is close to your heart, but
0: didn't get as much love as you hoped it got? Ooh, okay. I've got a nice answer for that, Nick, but it m- might not um, ring bells for you, but then makes my answer even more uh, right, I guess. So Dad made a show in the early 1980s, and that was his return to work, really, after the collapse of his marriage uh, to Sylvia and the collapse of his relationship with Lou Grade, who was his funder. And he finally got back back on the horse, as they say, and this show was called Hawks. Um, it had a bit of a cult following in the in the 1980s and uh, a very memorable alien character called Zelda, who was a wrinkly old space witch who, um, unfortunately, it seems, was dad's slightly childish attempt to get back at his then ex-wife. Um, <laughs> so rather rather cruel and childish, but, you know, I think you can all kind of uh, laugh at that distant past. We've all been there. The show ran for three three series of 13 episodes, so 39 in total. And then that was the end of it. And then we had an opportunity to bring back a full cast audio drama version with the remaining cast um, in 2015. And we did three volumes of that audio drama. And we we rebuilt the main character from the ground up. Because nice. uh, in the original show, the main character was a kind of unlovable not hero he was kind of irritable and irritating and it was the it felt like the letdown part of that show which was otherwise quite fun um and that led to an hour-long finale um of the of the series in the end of um the, the third box set and the the evolution over that group of 24 episodes is something that i'm really proud of from a producing and a directing and a scripting every every point of view it's something that really came together and it was a, it was a lovely thing, very special for the cast to come back together. Um, we managed to give uh, Denise Brier, who was the voice on that. She, she played the, um, the bag lady, the rubbish tip lady in Labyrinth. Mm, yeah. um, she played Belina, the chicken in return to Oz. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd done hundreds of voices over the years and she was in her nineties by the time we finished the series And returning to form and just just being absolutely brilliant and it was a lovely experience um and i'm always so gratified when i get a a tweet or an email from somebody who's experienced this this audio drama which is only going to be a few thousand people probably who will have heard it um but yeah i I would love more people to to give that a go and absorb it and enjoy it for what it is where can people find that audio drama uh from big finish who do all the doctor who audio dramas bigfinish.com and uh, yeah, there's three three full series and some freebies on there if somebody wants to try it. But Ter- Terra Hawks was a kind of slightly tongue-in-cheek sci-fi, slightly dark comedy in some ways, and it really found its feet later later on. But if people are expecting it to be Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds, it ain't. It's um, probably closer on the spectrum to Team America than Thunderbirds. Oh, okay,
1: okay. I'm definitely closer. Not Team I'm not.
0: I'm not saying like it for a minute, but it's closer on that spectrum. <laughs> no, no. I,
1: okay. That at least gives me a little bit of perspective. I, under, I understand the the Team America reference Yeah, uh, very much. Okay. Cool. All right. So as we mentioned before, and you mentioned that you've done a lot of work with Big Finish Productions for, for Doctor Who type stuff, and you're a producer, a director, a writer in your own rights, um, but you've become known for your work with Big Finish Productions and with Doctor Who. So my question for you is, and this is to beat Kathleen to the punch because she's our resident Hoovian, Are you a Hoovian? And if so, what draws you to work in the universe where time is best seen as timey-wimey and wibbly-wobbly?
0: <laughs> um, I am a Hoovian. It's out of uh, shot from my camera, but I have a third-scale TARDIS in my office, Um which was very kindly gifted to me by Nick Briggs, Voice of the Daleks, yeah. um, who I am very lucky to count as a very good friend. Um, uh, and you won't be able to see because of the resolution on the camera, but I've got about 20 odd Daleks up there, a dematerialization circuit, bunch of TARDISes on the next shelf down. So yes, I think that's fair to say. Um, I am a Whovian, and I uh, I got into it watching a VHS tape of Day of the Daleks in 1989. I just missed the actual broadcast version. So yes, very much. Um it's been a part of my world for a long time. Much to dad's irritation, like, I should add. Like
3: my <laughs> my TARDIS sweatshirt is just on my bed next to me. But I did,
0: I was tempted to wear my TARDIS onesie uh for this Ooh, interview. But I thought great. better of it, seeing as we're mostly talking Anderson. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I I've always been very fond of it. now amazingly i I wasn't even aware of Big Finish until 2014. no 20, 2013. sorry. um and I'm not quite sure how that happened. I think I kind of fell away slightly from from the world of Doctor Who. Um, and then we did uh we did Terrahawks with Big Finish, and I directed for the first time, having taken some guidance from uh, from Nick there and David Richardson and shadowed a couple of directors. Um, and Nick heard me directing and said do you want to give a Doctor Who a try Um, which was terrifying prospect Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean I'd met some of the doctors at events and stuff but never in a professional capacity I mean in the most unprofessional capacity probably being a real kind of uh, tongue-tied fanboy probably Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and not only was it a uh, I, I, my first production I think was Peter Davison, um, and I, I, I was so terrified that I engineered the casting of this story to basically include a bunch of my mates. So <laughs> yeah. the story was the Waters of Amsterdam, and in the cast I had Richard James, who co-hosts the Jerry Hansen podcast with me, and was in Space Precinct in the 1990s. Wayne Forrester, who was the voice of new Captain Scarlet in 2005 and worked with dad for probably 15 years before that. Robbie Stevens, who is a voice in Terrorhawks uh, uh, and worked on and often had worked with me on uh, on the Terrorhawks audio series, of course. And then I also cast Peter's wife to make sure that he would be nice to me.
3: (laughs) That's fantastic, though.
0: I wouldn't recommend that style of casting. However, that cast, they were absolutely brilliant. Um, And they were so kind of warm and welcoming and it made everything feel very at ease. So that eased my way further into, into doing doc two. And I I don't, I don't even know how many I've directed, probably 30 or 40. Um, But, but the, the, they, they gave me a, um, a trilogy of stories, uh, which was the two masters. So it was two incarnations of the master Mm -hmm. meeting. Um, And uh, all that sort of stuff was really special, but quite challenging. Um, Because, uh, uh, spoilers possibly, but in that two masters, their uh, personalities are are switched between bodies. So I'm directing Jeffrey Beavers trying to be Alex McQueen's master and vice versa without it being obvious until you get to the third story. So there's like real kind of technical directing challenges for a complete novice. Um, and obviously nepotism has played a part in that. I'm afraid to say it just is the way of the world, but I'm very grateful to to Nick and others at big finish for saying, actually, he's not just his father's son. He's got something of his own, um, which has been, again, feeds into what we spoke about right early on of, um, probably my own path. That's awesome.
3: So piggybacking off of Tim's original question, because Tim is not the resident Whovian. He is the resident star Wars nerd. But he has seen maybe two episodes of Doctor Who ever. Three,
1: thank you very much. Wow. Three. Three. I've stepped up in the world. I still only have two. Wow. I'm. I'm. I'm, I started watching it, and I got. I'm. Um. In the Christopher Eccleston series timeline, which. eh.
3: It's it's a hard it's a hard place to start. I get it, but. Mm. That should, very... be our next, that should be our next watch through Patreon exclusive, though. When we're done with Stargate, we'll watch Doctor Who.
0: I would say Firefly, but that's going to be a really quick series.
3: Right? That's, but, that's easy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Who will take you longer. If you go back to classic, you'll be, you'll be doing lots. Right?
3: Go back to classic Who. That'd be fun. So if you were to suggest an episode for someone who has never watched the show, for <laughs> them to begin, where would you make them start?
0: Where should I go watch? There you go. That's really, really tough. I mean, I think everybody who gets into Doctor Who, their their starting Doctor or Doctors will always be their place where they recommend somebody access it because that's that was their first exposure. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, mine being Day of the Daleks, which is a Doctor. Uh, it was John Pertwee Doctor's story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually not that good, but I fell in love with it as a as a four or five year old. Um, I was completely obsessed. And then uh, very soon after that being bought, Genesis of the Daleks, which is a a pretty serious Tom Baker story. Uh, And that was my first time realizing that the actor changed. Uh, Again, Mm -hmm. I should have said spoilers. Sorry for anyone who doesn't doesn't know that about Doctor Who. Doesn't
3: understand Um, that a 50-year-old television show has... (laughs)
0: You never know. There's always somebody that says, Oh, I can't believe you ruined that for me. So I I would actually say Genesis of the Daleks because it's, it says so much about the doctor's character. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It places him as a friend, a hero, a philosopher, someone who doesn't just go, well, this is a black and white situation of good and evil. There's more to it than this. Um, It's, it's a really interesting piece. It does Maybe slightly rely on knowing a bit about the Doctor's history, but all of them do because the, the show evolves so much over time. So, yeah, go and watch Genesis of the Daleks and um learn about how the the Doctor's biggest adversary came about and how he's he's sent there to maybe try and stop them.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay, that
3: is a good place to start.
0: So, Jamie, when you aren't busy, what do you like to do in your free time? When I'm not busy. Uh, So I slightly take after dad in that I'm probably a bit of a workaholic, but because I enjoy it, because, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff to do. And I often find myself too busy and then get offered something shiny and new and we'll take that on as well. So I end up too, too busy. But I live on a farm and um, we have quite a lot of animals. So um, we've just had a litter of puppies and we've got lambs being born uh so actually it's kind of a nice distraction and a, a must-do element because you know the animals need looking after feeding um manure moving all that sort of stuff and then sure. the reward being new life so it, that's that's a kind of lovely um distraction from the rest of the stuff but so often work doesn't really feel like work um i'm doing a, a script editing gig for for big finish for a to be announced uh doctor who related thing that's being announced in about 10 days time and diving into that and you know having to do quick turnarounds on storylines and getting things approved and making tweaks to make them all thread together and working with the writers that kind of thing is is so rewarding um that yeah i i probably could do with more hobbies for my brain's sake but then i i wouldn't be i wouldn't be enjoying as much there you go Okay. All right. So let's shift gears here and let's
1: talk about the, the works of your father, Jerry Anderson, which is a much longer and much more impressive list than I ever really gave it credit for. <laughs> um, Cause I did go to the, uh, the Jerry Anderson website and there was the list of shows. Like I said, just, like I said, I knew of a couple of them. Hmm. I was not aware of how much your dad had actually done and, and hmm. all the, the, all the fingers that in all the pies and all the things that he had done over the years and what he had been part of. Uh, and then the fact that he was even working on some ideas up until uh, late in his life that remained unfinished at his passing. So can you talk to us about some of those ideas that the company and you are bringing
0: to life uh, at this point? Sure. Um... So uh, since I've already mentioned Thunderbirds and his desire to reboot it when when that was kind of finally taken away from him um he decided that he could maybe work on his own idea for a uh, for an international rescue story not featuring international rescue the name of the organization in Thunderbirds and so he began writing this story called Gemini Force 1 which was kind of like a contemporized thunderbird's prequel but in a non-copyright infringing way um sadly he wasn't able to finish that in his lifetime and that was one of the first things that we we brought back we continued and, and completed so um we ran a kickstarter in 2014 and gemini force one was published across three novels in 2014 and 2015 um and are still available uh so that was the the kind of the first um flag i guess uh beyond that there are things that we refer to as the lost worlds of jerry anderson so alongside the 800 episodes and four features that were actually produced um he was constantly writing new ideas and coming up with stuff uh in the late 1970s i think in the wake of space 1999 doing pretty well but not as well as they'd hoped and certainly not in the second year of its production then off the back of the success of Star Wars, um, he and his writing part- partner, Tony Barwick, wrote a, uh, a film script, feature script called Five Star Five, which was basically The Magnificent Seven in Space. Okay. And that film was funded and was in pre-production. Uh, and you'll be familiar with this story by now the financing collapsed and the production collapsed and the script was stuck in a filing cabinet and um, that was that. So again, um, that's one of the projects that we wanted to do something with. And short of of having 50 million or 100 million dollars to make a movie, um, which is kind of hard to come by, um, we decided to novelize the script. So again, uh, my dear friend and colleague, Richard James, who is an excellent author, novelized the script. Uh, And so that project was then available for fans for the first time and has been very well received. That we've continued in that vein. Um, There was another project he put together in between the first and second years of Space 1999, called various different titles, Rescue 4, Intergalactic Rescue, (laughs) Intergalactic Rescue 4, which is kind of Thunderbirds and Fireball XL5 meets Lost in Space um there were 10 story treatments for that it was supposed to be a live action or maybe even an animated um kids series i think they pitched it to nbc in 1975 didn't get made sat in the filing cabinet now out there as one book 10 10 stories giving you a kind of 10 episode overview of uh of what would have happened in that series and leaving it for more rich has been busy doing more five star five so there's a there's a sequel book and uh, there may be one more possibly coming up in the future. Uh, Very cool. so that, All right. those, those are the lost worlds. And then there's, there's lots more beyond which he never publicly spoke about. That information is not out there yet. Um, and we're working on things in the background. We must have a slate of about probably eight Jerry Anderson projects in development at various stages wow. um, alongside Fantastic. probably another eight non-Anderson ones. So it's a good collection. Fantastic nice
1: that's
3: cool so again back to imdb our wonderful (laughs) wonderful friend looking over your credits it lists you as a director and a producer but it also says that you're you started out as an uncredited gopher on 1994 space precinct space precinct i can talk (laughs) so having gone from the uncredited job to being a producer and a director what piece of advice would you give to someone looking to start out in the entertainment industry (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh wow i mean uh nepotism is a blessing and a curse <laughs> uh you know it was it's amazing actually how the how the name opens some doors and firmly closes others so um you know having that connection is is not the be all and end all um uh, by any means i would definitely say to not take a leaf out of dad's book when it comes to maintaining relationships Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i came in thinking the industry is a pure creative meritocracy and a good idea will always float to the surface and will succeed and will get made and that is just not the case um so you're going into an industry where connections are everything Um, people are everything because at the end of the day any decision maker whether they're going to employ you or fund your show or buy your show uh whether you're producing or doing any other any other role in front of or behind the camera they're taking a risk on you Mm -hmm. um and it will always be so for you to get your first job or go into a new role step up into a new place and to ease that path, if they know you are a decent human being and you aren't difficult to work with, that will always work in your favour. So I don't believe in this thing of, you know, directors and producers having to be nasty pieces of work. Uh, I, I You know, I don't believe in the nice guys finish last thing. Right. I think whatever you're doing is do your your utmost to make things work to make things easier for the people around you above you below you however you see it Mm -hmm. um and actually that will be your greatest ally your greatest tool in getting anywhere um you know early days offer to do stuff for free to help somebody out don't expect everybody to help you out and that will be the best the best stepping stone um And then just spend the rest of your time being nice uh and what is it will wheaton says don't be a dick
3: yes (laughs)
0: there you go i could have just summarized it by saying that but uh, (laughs) you've got the you've got the data to back it up now
2: there you go so we have a facebook group it has over two hundred and ten thousand. last i checked and it is just filled with memes galore of too many memes yes (laughs) uh so which character from Terrahawks would you like to see thrown into a new uni- new Nerdiverse? Which universe would that character land? And would they be a hero or a villain?
0: <laughs> Ooh. That's very tricky. Because you want it to be an interesting character, an interesting I do want to say an interesting villain really. I'd kind of like to see how how the Doctor would deal with the situation that the Alphans find themselves in in space nineteen ninety nine, but particularly how the Doctor would deal with with Simmons, Commissioner Simmons, who is such an, a kind of an antagonistic lead against Koenig in the early days and meets a sticky end. I wonder what would happen if the doctor met him, how the doctor would deal with Simmons and and if the doctor could or would help the inhabitants of Moonbase Alpha. But, yeah, Simmons, Simmons meets the doctor. It's a bit niche, but I, I there would be an interesting meeting of minds there. And I wonder if the doctor could change Simmons attitude a bit. Interesting. All right. Very cool. like that. All right,
1: Jamie. We're at a point in our show where where we used to end it with a quiz, but lately we've been ending with a silly question. Because Not all that of we've our asked.
3: Other ones have been so serious, so very,
1: so very serious. <laughs> uh, this is just one last silly question. Our last and final dig. All right, so Jamie, what's the funniest Wi-Fi name that you've ever been connected to? Or seen, <laughs> or seen. Yeah. I have a buddy who's his his, says, uh, you can't touch this Uh, (laughs) FBI surveillance van. I've seen that one. Um,
0: Gosh, that was a good one, isn't it? I mean, certainly an an absolutely unrepeatable name of a Wi-Fi network that uh, belonged to some neighbors of mine when I was a student, um, which was basically don't... connect to this network mm-hmm. uh, well there you go <laughs> uh, there you go but i i can't repeat the full name sorry no <laughs> understood
3: when my husband and i first got married our wi-fi at our apartment was the Batcave. cave it was very confusing See, that's People. cool they're like they're like the Batcave. cave why because i'm batman yes, i'm
0: gonna not? change my wi-fi to the tardis now there you go <laughs> i think ours now one. is
3: kingdom of Was.
1: I didn't go anything with anything fun at my house. I just went with whatever was on the back of the Wi-Fi and called it a day. Because is your was password lazy.
3: still the the 900? Oh yeah,
1: it's just the it's 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 like nine digits, alphanumeric, uh, uh, alphanumeric, whatever was on the bottom of the router, and I just
2: went, yeah, good enough. Oh Tim, come on! There's bits of your life you can so take old. control of and enjoy. Ours right now is ankle sneeze. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, Tim, you could have yours be the Millennium Falcon.
1: I thought about it, honestly, Uh, because for the longest time we called ourselves so our, our house, the Hacienda. So I was going to call it, you know, do something along those lines. But then I, like I said, I got lazy and just like, well, eh, that's good enough. Nobody's going to break that. Called it a day.
2: <laughs> yeah, you can be ours called is, Don't go solo unless you're ooh.
3: Ours is Kingdom of I, Lost. And then like our our Roku in the living room, because we had for a while the remote didn't want to work. And so we downloaded the Roku app. And then you have to name which Roku device is which so that it doesn't get confused. So the one in our bedroom is the Batcave. The one in the living room is the Grand Audience Chamber. It's like, why not give things fun names, Tim?
2: (laughs) Well, Jamie, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our
0: listeners go to find out more about you and your works? Time for a plug. Uh, Yes, so... JerryAnderson.com is the website for content. If you want to know about the shows, about the history of the man, etc. There's the Jerry Anderson Store, um, which for uh, listeners in the US is JerryAnderson.store. Uh, and also, we have a podcast. If you're listening to a podcast, then you must be right for listening to podcasts. So, if you want to hear more of my delightful accent, then you can hear it every week at uh, JerryAndersonPodcast.com. There you go.
3: Awesome. well we will link all of those for our viewers and our listeners so that they can find you they can follow you in the least creepy way of saying that they will start- <laughs> <laughs>
2: have,
0: have you
3: done any
2: like have you done any like audiobook readings
0: <laughs> uh no oh, I, okay. I, I have not um because uh, there are I think one of the great skills of being a good director or producer is knowing that you are not good at some things and others are much better so there are some brilliant voice actors we work with who do all of our audio books and they're amazing there you go
1: fair enough All right, guys, we're going to take this opportunity to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Jamie Anderson here today and funny moments so you'll be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us more than we can tell you. I want to remind you, too, to please go stalk, I mean, follow Jamie and uh, (laughs) check out the rest of his works as well. Now, if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department, the head puppeteer from the Thunderbirds, Jamie Anderson's evil twin, Jami. Jami will need many copies of your complaint because he's more concerned about paparazzi photos than paperwork. But when he chooses to take care of the complaints that you send in, just know that whatever action is taken, it's only going to be done from the standpoint of what's best for Jami. But rest assured that we're going to be unhappy with either way because we had to deal with Jami. He's terrible. <laughs> he has well. He has he has just the goatee because that's you know the evil twin has to have just the goatee. He goes, yeah.
3: If it's the mustache and the goatee, though, it's a Van Dyke. I learned a right. thing from Hamster and Gretel. <laughs> I yes. learned a thing from a cartoon. Are we sure that he's actually evil or is the Van Dyke? Evil?
1: The, yes. <laughs> the, the quick Sentient answer is yes. Hair.
3: Sentient facial hair. <laughs> anyway.
0: Well, All right, guys, Jamie, that's good. Yeah, thank you, Thanks Jamie. again for Appreciate being on the show. <laughs> thank you for having me. Appreciate that. All right, guys,
1: that's going to conclude us for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. Ciao. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF or go to www.fsfpodcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again, and hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2023 FSF Podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Popcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.